Hi, everyone. From Impact Alpha Media, this is Returns on Investment, a show about the impact investing marketplace. Live on tape from New York, I'm Brian Walsh, head of impact for the fintech company LiquidNet. With me, as always, is Imogen Rose Smith, a senior writer with Institutional Investor Magazine. Hello, Imogen. Hi, Brian. And joining us by the magic of podcast technology, Impact Alpha Editor-in-Chief David Bank. He comes to us from the Bay Area in Berkeley, California. Hi, David. How are you? I'm pretty good, Brian. How are you? Doing well, thanks. Well, on today's show, we're going to talk about whether size really matters. That is, when it comes to impact investing. How big is the impact investing market globally? Is it growing or stagnating? Are more asset owners and asset stewards putting money into asset managers? And are more deals taking place? To answer this, the Global Impact Investing Network, known as the GIN, think of it as the Industry Trade Association for Impact Investing Globally, they put out a new 2017 report where they try to size the impact investing market. They put out an annual survey of self-identified impact investors, and this year they had 209 uh, respondents from around the world. And according to the GIN, in 2016, the respondents to their survey invested in aggregate $22.1 billion into nearly 8,000 impact investments, and they plan to increase this amount of capital by 17% this year in 2017. So in total, the survey respondents currently manage $114 billion in impact investing assets. So some are calling this new number, $114 billion, as the best available floor for the size of the impact investing market. David, what can you tell us about the report? Well, Brian, let's give the gin credit for doing the hard work. This is not a an estimate or a forecast or a projection. It's actually a survey of, of real investors who they get to pony up at least some financial information about their assets under management, the deals they've done, and whatnot. So um, this is the seventh annual report that the gin has done. It becomes kind of something like the annual report card for impact investing and and every year it, it occasions uh, sort of, you know, analysis, which is usually of the order of glass half full or glass half empty. So on the glass half full side, uh, you know, assets are up 47% from 77 billion last year. So from 77 billion to 114 billion, that's good growth. The amount committed uh, is up to 20 2 billion, 45% higher. So more money actually going out the door, not just sitting in the fund manager's accounts. The glass half empty side is, you know, this 114 billion is a drop in the bucket of the global financial markets, um, you know, which are something like, you know, $75 trillion under management. So impact investing obviously has a long way to go to become uh, a major part of global finance, but it is growing at a respectable pace. Okay, now Imogen, you are our resident skeptical curmudgeon on this show. Uh, what can you tell us about this report? What issues do you see with this GIN report? So uh, to be clear, I like to think of myself as a lovable curmudgeon. I, I didn't say you weren't lovable. I said you were skeptical. Okay. Curmudgeon. A skeptical curmudgeon. A, a, a lovable skeptical curmudgeon. You, you, we are large. We contain multitudes. <laughs> you can be many things. Okay. Thank you. Um, and, you know, as someone who contains multitudes, I think, you know, I, I think the gin does a good job. I think that there is a lot to praise this report for, you know, where, where I tend to sort of express my greatest, one of my greatest points of frustration in 
impact land is a sort of rah-rah impact boosterism. And, you know, the, the gin, to its great credit, does do a drill down into, you know, what are we worried about? What are our concerns in the industry? Do we think, for example, that there, there is enough professionalization there? Are we concerned about the quality of deals? Are we concerned about exits? So, so there is there is some real depth of analysis that is going on here. And, you know, it's, it's a self-reported survey and it, it recognizes that. And if you look at, you know, and, and the, the, the quality of the respondents is very high. If you, you can see a lot of the organizations that are involved in this, it's people like, you know, Capricorn, you know, MacArthur, uh, Blue Haven Initiative, yeah. TBL Partners, Omidyar, yeah. Ford, Generation. There are a lot of yeah. There are a lot of very high quality participants who are, who are engaged in this. So I think that as certainly in terms of as the impact industry goes, which again is does suffer from an over excess of boosterism, um, as a lot of new industries do, this this does a good job. That says there are there are some technical issues that it suffers from. So for example, there's a lot of double accounting here, right? You have something like 69% of respondents are fund manager, fund for-profit and not-for-profit fund managers. The other, and the, the rest for the most part are allocators. So in some way you're counting some dollars twice, maybe even more than twice. So the market isn't necessarily, and I mean, they acknowledge this, the market isn't necessarily as deep as they think. The other thing that is that, um, you know, and I think this is this should be of concern to the industry in general. If you look at the median numbers, what you'll see is, um, you know, that there are two things. You'll see that there are only a very small amount of players putting a significant amount of capital to work. And then on one end of the bell curve, there's people doing a lot of little deals. And then, you know, you don't have that many significant transactions of size. Um, and I think that is of concern to the industry. Um, what you want to really be seeing is more increasingly an increasing number of more large players and more transactions of size. Um, because right now, the, when we get to the $22.1 billion that was reported out the door invested last year, the median investment there was $12 million. Yeah, which is crazy, right? Like that's, you know, in my world, you know, in the institutional investing world, that's not real investing. That isn't to say that $12 million can't be a meaningful allocation of capital and it can't do something meaningful. But it's what's also interesting though is if you look at where the majority of the transactions are. They're in housing, energy, microfinance, right? So these are all sectors that could actually take, are sectors that could take a reasonable amount of capital. So 12 million is definitely a drop in the ocean when you're talking about energy, right? So there's a real question there of like, how much impact is your dollar having in the broader marketplace? Uh, but that, I mean, to be fair, that that is not a fault of that, the report. That is That is an analysis that you can take from the report. The other thing that is interesting, um, is sort of people's enthusiasm for what they're doing. The fact that, you know, well over 90% of respondents think that they're doing a great job is, you know, that, that, that their deals are having, you know, spend all this time talking about like measuring impact and how difficult it is. And then 98% of respondents come back and say, yes, our impact is great. You know, it tells you that there is, 
there's a heightened level of enthusiasm should people be that enthusiastic. So David, as you mentioned, this is the seventh year of the GIN doing this annual survey. And of course, it being a self-reported survey that's not audited, it's not uh, officially you know, uh, uh, checked or uh, evaluated about whether the, the numbers are, are accurate. Uh, so this is all self-reported data, but it's, uh, it's at least uh, been conducted in a consistent manner over seven years, asking similar questions. I think they've tweaked them, evolved them, but you can at least compare year over year. Uh, as, as a snapshot in time. So David, um, as, a, as a data set, uh, this is uh, you know, probably the best that we have as an industry, uh, but it is, it is missing some. So wh what would you say that uh, the ideal data set to really track the size of the impact investing market, what would that, what would that data set include? Well, we, I always have a predilection for transparency and actually being able to see what we're talking about. This is anonymized data uh that's often helpful in getting folks to actually tell you anything but on the other hand you don't it's sort of a black box for anybody looking at it. you can't really analyze it one of the intriguing tidbits in the in the report was that there are five investors who together accounted for just under 50 billion dollars of AUM uh which was something like 44% of the total so since it's anonymized you don't quite know who the five are but it doesn't take a ton of sleuthing around and they do actually list some of the respondents in the back although there's also anonymous one anonymous two and anonymous three but uh, just to be clear just like to PGDM. clarify though david that anonymous one anonymous two anonymous three was not you me and imogen right we did not respond to the survey <laughs> no and we and we don't account for 50 billion dollars of, of aum either um but uh not you know there's attitude. pggm which is a large dutch pension fund ubs the swiss bank has uh, has committed, I don't think they've gotten there yet, but they've committed to be putting $5 billion towards, say, for example, sustainable development goal investing. That's not, of course, their money. That's client money. And there's a few other big, big players in there. But as Imogen said, most of the folks listed in the appendix in the back are quite small. So um, the average gets pulled out of whack by these big players. The median, as, as, as Imogen was said, is, 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 are still quite small funds and quite small deals. To your point about data, you know, we, we would love to see the real deal flow um, across the space. We try to track that in impact space, which is got a set of deals, ventures and investors. But because it is everybody's named and identified, um, you don't get sometimes some, some of the, the, the same the same amount of data. So there's a trade off between transparency and uh, anonymi anonymity. N nice plug there, David, for Subtle. impact space. Very, very, very um, but, you know, and I, I think that um, both, you, you can have both. I actually, I mean, I struggle less with the anonymity of data than David does, in part because I can pronounce the word. And secondly, <laughs> <laughs> because I actually think, you know, having the majority of the participants listed in the back, you do have quite a lot of material there to work with, particularly if you use something like impact space and compare and contrast. What is really interesting as well, though, is on this point of the large asset owners who are starting to participate, you're seeing that sort of distortion in the market and that tension whereby, you know, impact investing was a network of smaller participants doing small deals, sometimes very tricky esoteric parts of the market trying to make a difference. Now you have these larger allocators coming in, playing a role that start, starts to, to 
you know very much distort what the the community originally meant by impact and you can see that i mean they have an a question in there about the entry of large the larger firms and what does it mean and you see some you know people are saying we think it's a pos positive because it legitimizes the marketplace but we're also concerned about what what it's going to mean mean for impact investing so there's very issues and tensions that, that we've been talking about are being reflected in the community's own survey about itself. I think that's right. And that's a, that's a, that's a good point. Um, Amit Bori, the head of the gin, um, talked about impact dilution and said, quote, judgment should be withheld on any new entrant until the investor demonstrates a rigorous commitment to impact. Um, because there are big players like like Bain and BlackRock and, and others raising funds, TPG that we've talked about on this show, raising big impact funds now. Um, and, you know, I think we want to make sure we and impact investors want to make sure that there's really impact delivered there. One of the interesting uh, results in the survey was something like 98 or 99 percent of those surveyed said they're very satisfied with the impact performance of their investments. And a lot of critics have said, well, come on. I mean, that if you're that that's a low bar then if you're satisfied given the you know remaining problems in the world and what have you so you know again as we've talked about many times the the way in which impact is measured and and, and valued and and reported bears at least as much um scrutiny as the way the financials are reported but i would sort of take the other side of the argument as well though and, and say that you know if if the impact investing becomes too purist and too concerned about the sort of the, the purity, the impact, and let's say the honesty of the intent, then it runs the danger of getting left behind, right? That like larger forces take over. And you're already seeing it. I mean, you're seeing, you know, an increased interest in participation in the public equity space. You're seeing an increased interest in activism and con the impact of consumers in sort of a post-Trump world, let's say. And all of these things are coming to the fore and you can kind of see impact struggling with that. Do they want to be a part of that or do they just want to sit in their little world and focus on their little $12 million transactions? And, you know, you can say that both courses are necessary, but I think it's changing. You know, impact was on the, the forefront of something when it started a decade ago. And now it's not clear, is it a leader? Is it a follower? Or is it off to the side doing its own thing? So what Amit Bori, who again, who's the CEO of the GIN, what he what he wrote in the report is that the GIN's vision of the market is not to integrate impact into traditional capital markets, but to integrate the capital markets into the global pursuit of social and environmental progress. So how do you unpack that, that statement? That, so it's not the role, or at least from the GIN's perspective, it's not the role of uh, the gin and impact investors and those part of this movement to kind of influence and integrate into the capital markets, but to better bring the capital markets themselves into this larger movement towards social and environmental progress. This is kind of goes to the, you know, fundamental, you know, tribal division within impact investing. And, and Amit, as you say, waded straight into it. I mean, there have been, you know, over, you know, since the beginning, there have been folks who the, the sort of social change or social progress folks who said, you know, hey, there's a lot of money in those private capital markets. Let's go get some of it. And that, in some sense, that's what, what Ahmed is, is saying. And then there's folks on the financial market side who said, 
you know, we want to do some, we want to do some good and we want to get our returns and let's, let's look for opportunities to, to do both, but from a financial re- returns perspective, generally speaking. So, um, and, and, and to be honest, some of those folks have been quite critical of the gin as not truly a, a, a market investor um, type organization. So um, that is a tension that he's putting his finger on right there. According to this report, uh, though, that's two-thirds, 66% of the respondents are seeking risk-adjusted market rate returns. They, they're, they're essentially being that they are finance-first impact investors. But what is crazy about that to me is that they don't ask, the question is market rate returns. Why not ask them about above market rate returns? Like, why not suggest that you could actually, you know, create alpha through this type of investing? Like there Would is, you call that impact alpha? I imaging? might call it impact <laughs> that alpha. That was another day, setup for another plug by David. Um, like it's it, there is still. <laughs> I was waiting for you to set me up with it, Brian, but I jumped. I jumped the gun. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's still this this hesitancy. I mean, I think you know, special shout out to Ahmed as well because he lives in my neighborhood in Brooklyn. Special Fort Green shout out. <laughs> um, and. You know, I think he's right. I think that, that you're not going to change the capital markets. What you can do is bring the tools of capital markets into impact. But you should also bring the capitalists with them, right? Like what impact is very, very bad at doing is sort of meeting others where they live, right? They're still very much stuck in their little family offices, their little foundations. Like they should be reaching out and pulling in, you know, the dirty capitalists with their capital market tools, not assuming this kind of insularity. Well, what about all of those managers out there, all of those people in the traditional capital markets who are day in and day out investing in great opportunities that have compelling risk-adjusted return profiles that also have compelling impact, but they just don't measure that impact and they don't self-identify as impact investors. So, you know, is the fact that this is a self-reported survey, does that limit this market? And so that's why we only have, you know, the floor being 114 billion, as opposed to the, David, what'd you say, $75 trillion of the overall capital markets. Is it because we uh, require people to jump through hoops and to go through some kind of purity ritual and to uh, kind of, uh, uh, you know, announce themselves that they are true impact investors? And I don't understand what those hoops are and what that purity ritual is. And I'd love to uncover you know, it, it, uh, to, to your point, David, earlier, uh, what what does it take to demonstrate that you have the intention to generate impact alongside these financial returns? Like what what is required besides just putting impact investor in your title or slapping that on your website for your for your fund? You know, what what does it actually take? And And especially since there's all kinds of different reporting frameworks. Yes, a number of people are using the impact reporting investment standards, the Irish taxonomy developed by the GIN. Uh, but and some people are also mapping to the, the global goals, the sustainable development goals, but there's no requirement of that. So there's no, there's no high council out there that, that says this is impact and that is not impact. And so until we get there, I feel like uh, we're not counting a lot of what I would consider and what I've called in the past impact incognito. I'm okay with that. Like, I think that you don't, I think that impact investing can get too hung up on these questions of measurement and identity and, you know, sort of self-labeling what is impact instead of basically getting on with the job 
of being impact investors, you know, you end up in a rules-based rather than a principles-based structure. And that to me is a very negative idea. And I don't think that anyone has should be the high council to judge what is and isn't impact. You know, PGGM can decide that their impact is different and what how they choose to measure their impact is different from then how, you know, the Ford Foundation wants to measure it or the Case Foundation wants to measure it. I think that it's it's, you know, the point of the gin is to be the trade representative trade group for self-identified impact hardcore investors that's their job i don't think that you need to overly criticize or overly think them for doing their job people who want to join that community can join that community but is that is it the role of that community to integrate impact into the traditional capital markets or integrate the capital markets into traditional impact they're crazy if they think that they can influence, that they alone can influence the broader capital markets, right? I think it's much more effective to say what Abbott is effectively saying, which is that you can integrate the tools of capital market into impact. And then if you can over the long term turn around and leverage that to a greater extent, you're not going to stop. I mean, this gets into, you know, the sort of divest, invest activism crowd, you're not going to stop Goldman Sachs like financing fossil fuels. So if you're not going to stop the tools of capitalism being used for things that you fundamentally disagree with, then really why waste your time sort of thinking that you can achieve some purity of higher cause? So one final data point that I want to uh, note here is that the year that uh, these funds made their first impact investment. So uh, 30 of the funds of the 200 respondents uh, said they made it in pre-1996. And then there is a growing number uh, over the years. And in 2011, there were 17 uh, funds that made their first investment. And that was the high water mark. Uh, so last year, there was only four funds that, that kind of came online and made their first investment last year. So I, I worry, is, is that uh, a sign that, that we're losing momentum? Or is it just a sign, uh, David, I put the question to you, that, that, they're, uh, you know, that, that, that we have mature market and the, the current entrants in the space are figuring things out, and so we don't necessarily need new players coming into the space. How do you, how do you interpret I think that, that? may be a, you know, an anomaly of data gathering as well. I think there's lots of new funds. We report on them every day in, in the newsletter that are, that are raising. I just think they may not be you know, closed or, 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 or ready to report or, or in the gin orbit or, or, or on the mailing list yet. I don't think to, to read that much into it. I think there's a lot of fundraising going on there 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 was another data point just to your point though that they last year when they did this survey folks thought they were going to raise 12.4 and they in fact raised billion and they in fact raised 11.1 so again it's not totally apples to apples it's a different number of funds it's you know it's hard to really know hence my black box thing but they raised less in 2016 than they thought they were going to raise a year earlier for next year, they say they're going to raise $18.5 billion, and we'll see, we'll see a year from now whether they do so or not. I'll tell you one of the data points here that I thought was reassuring in that new fund commitment data was that you don't see a drop-off in 2008. Like 2008, you had 14. 2009, you had 14. You had a drop-off in 2010 to 9, but then it quickly bounces back up. Like So one of the things I'm very concerned about in sort of impact space in general is that you're going to see a huge pullback when we have some kind of market correction or crash. Um, and that you know, that didn't, at least in the GINs universe, did not happen in 2008. 
So well, one of the one of the arguments in favor of impact investing has always been that it's relatively uncorrelated. That you know, microfinance and and other small loans in in the financial crisis actually perform better than, you know, for example, mortgages. And so, uh, you know, that impact investing is going to grow as as people look to hedge their other investments. We can have this conversation on a different day, but that is complete nonsense <laughs> because <laughs> it's got nothing You're to do so with the actual curmudgeonly, Im- No, but because it's got nothing to do with the actual investments themselves. It's to do with the allocators, right? If I'm losing all my money in, like, other markets, I'm not going to be like, oh, you know what I'm going to do today? I'm going to stick some money in microfinance. That sounds like a great idea. So it's not necessarily the returns. It's the... the ability to allocate capital to these transactions. All right, well, we're going to have to leave it there and save that fight for another day. That's going to do it for this episode of Returns on Investment. Thank you to our lovable curmudgeon, Imogen Rose Smith. Thank you. And thank you, David, to our wild-eyed optimist, David Bank. Thank you, Imogen. Thank you, Brian. Uh, And thank you all for listening. Uh, If you like the show, be sure to rate us and subscribe to us on iTunes or wherever you're listening to this podcast right here, right now. Uh, Impact Alpha is on Twitter, at Impact Alpha. Uh, We're also online, impactalpha.com, where you can sign up for our daily Impact Alpha newsletter. It's called The Brief. It's really helpful. Uh, Definitely subscribe if you want to learn more. Special thanks, as always, to our technical producer, Isaac Silk. Thank you, Isaac. From New York, I'm Brian Walsh. On behalf of David Bank and Imogen Rose Smith, thanks so much for listening to this episode of Returns on Investment. We look forward to speaking again soon. 